Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 393. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 240, He is Holding a Knife. Now, this episode did come out, I want to say, on December 14th, so we're a little behind, but it's okay because they're on hiatus in January. They're always on hiatus in January, and we never remember. Nope, nope. But it was a very good episode, and it was not what we were expecting. Nope, because as soon as we saw the title, you had a theory about what this was going to be or what that was a reference to. Yeah, well, it's called He is Holding a Knife, and of course, there's the famous line, He is Holding a Cat, and I thought it would somehow tie into that because of Silas the Thief, who was actually Kashik, and so I thought this will be an episode about that, maybe. It was not at all. No, no. So let's see here. Um, the, the nice little startling bit in the beginning, Disparition did the intro instead yes. of uh, one of the writers. So I thought, I don't think yeah. he's ever done that before. It's funny because I want to say it was on threads and I follow him on threads. I'm used to on Instagram, he posts pictures from various venues where they are when they're traveling through different cities and everything, but there's never any captions, which if I thought about it, I'm like, oh yeah, of course, because Disparition doesn't talk. On threads lately, he's actually been talking about, hey, you guys should come out and see our show and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, wow, words. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so we start out. Cecil got a call from Tamika. Tamika has been looking after that kid who doesn't know his name. And she's telling Cecil that the kid has a knife. And Cecil says, did he get it from the knife show you went to last week? And Tamika says, no, there's other places where you can get knives, you know. But Cecil confirms that the kid is not threatening her, and he doesn't look to be a danger to himself or others. So Cecil says, I I don't know what you want me to do with this information. So he goes on to the news and says that, I think it's um, Palam and Lakshmi Mahala are having Mm -hmm. a big sale of their parents' VHS collection. I think their Mm -hmm. parents passed away, so they have all of these useless tapes, and people need to come and indulge in the nostalgia. And they've got all sorts of strange things, movies that don't quite match up with what the movie titles really are. Um, Mm -hmm. Lee Marvin's first movie is available. Uh, Very interesting find. So get on down there and buy those tapes before Balam and Lakshmi realize that they are selling their parents' memories and start ripping these uh, cassettes out of your hands saying, let go of mommy. Yeah, that got dark fast. (laughs) It really did. Now, I want to say they were the people who their parents actually had the VHS, like the video rental place, then passed away. And there was that whole episode where they were trying to find one rental tape. It had been a whole movie that had been recorded on top of, I want to say, a copy of Heat, I think. And they did finally find it. I want to say this is a callback to that. I didn't look it up before the recording started because why would we prepare? But I'm pretty sure that's what that's a callback to. So Cecil gets another panicked call from Tamika. She has lost sight of the boy and she's trying to look for him in places where boys would go. Uh, She said he's been keeping a journal, but the only thing in the journal is the phrase, who am I, written over and over and over again but in different handwriting. And she would have thought it was maybe written by different people, but now that she thinks about it, it's written by somebody who's trying to figure out what kind of person they are and then trying out that person's handwriting over and over again. So nice and surreal image there. Yeah, seriously. 
Cecil also lets us know that the Night Vale post office is back. They had had a whole problem where there were hooded figures inside and everybody felt really strange when going in there, but they've cleared up all of that. And so they're letting everybody know that you can now send physical media to people through the mail if you're one of those weirdos who's into that kind of thing. And uh, everybody says that the renovated post office looks pretty much like the old post office, which people are fine with. And Larry Leroy says, well, as long as I've got a place I can come to when I'm hungry and can buy some stamps to snack on, I'm happy. I have to admit, the glue they usually use on stamps and on envelopes, it is pretty tasty. It is. I'm not sure why they would do that uh, to actually make it snackable. I guess it's probably because the opposite would be so much worse if it's like it just tastes horrendous. It's like, well, okay, let's err on the side of tastiness. (laughs) Latchmi called Cecil to say that the boy actually showed up at the VHS sale and he picked up a copy of Beverly Hills Cop. And there's a very funny description of what Beverly Hills Cop is about. I would certainly watch that movie. And he's asking her, is it good? And she says, well, I like it. And he said, well, that's not the same thing. And she's like, that's true. But you know, if you take the subjective out of anything, nothing is going to be good or bad. It's a very philosophical discussion they had. Yeah, I like that. I mean, everyone is so dismissive when they say, oh, just because you like something doesn't mean it's good. I'm like, well, good and bad when it comes to artwork and movies only exists in the mind of the viewer, I should say. Yeah, totally subjective. But that was an interesting conversation, but he finishes it up with the creepy question, can you tell me how to get to Carlos Robles' lab? Yikes! <laughs> and of course, Cecil has contacted Carlos and told him to lock the door and make sure that he's safe. But um, meanwhile, the Gino's Italian Dining Experience and Bar is expanding. They are adding another bar behind the first bar. So it will now be Gino's Italian Dining Experience Bar and Bar. I'd like it. I'd probably go there. Yeah, they, um, they had a little intro from one of the owners about keeping the investors happy and it sounds like the investors like a pack of wolves that will eat them if they don't make them happy but they're also trying to be Instagrammable so Mm. they're offering sorts of weird food that doesn't taste good but like inspires people to take a photograph of it and ask why would someone make this like deconstructed calamari which is just basically bringing a live squid to your table and a knife and I like this one also tossed risotto which is thrown at you. (laughs) It's so funny. I had not been aware that that is a real thing, that there are restaurants that exist where the service is terrible and the food is not great and it's all way too expensive, but they make everything as gorgeous as possible because you come in and you want to Instagram it and then other people want to come and they want to Instagram it and they don't really care if you don't like the food as long as you come in and buy something and give them free advertising. Oh, that just reminds me of that Black Mirror episode, Nosedive, where everybody's so mm. obsessed with their social credit score and upvoting people and downvoting people. And she like posts this picture of her coffee with her cookies and everything and you know gets a bunch of points on it. And then she happily takes a bite of the cookie and goes, eh, and sets yeah. it down. So nothing yeah. matters except how well it looks online. That's right. Okay, so Carlos called. I don't know if he didn't listen to Cecil or if maybe it didn't matter, but the boy is there. He's still holding the knife. And the boy asks to see any experiments they're doing with the Desert Otherworld. So Carlos shows him the window that opens up and they you can't really see anything in there other than the landscape and the lighthouse that's way off on the distance. I guess he shows them some samples too, which is mostly sand that they've gathered through such great scientific methods as holding your breath and reaching through the window and grabbing whatever's there. That sounds about right. (laughs) That sounds very scientific, yes. But um, then he loses sight of the boy again 
And then Lakshmi contacts Cecil again and says that they've managed to sell all of their VHS tapes. And then Lee Marvin shows up and he wanted to buy the copy of his first movie because he never actually got a copy of it. He had asked for it from the producers, but they never gave him one. And he said, would you like to hear some funny stories about the making of the movie and behind the scenes? And they said, yes. And he said, well, too bad. It was a miserable experience. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's probably what a lot of people think about their first movie. I think so, yeah. Or or about the whole behind the scenes element in general. Imagine the uh, people having the funny stories is outweighed by the people who we're like, it was a job, and we were all kind of tired by 4 a.m. and wanted to go home. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but the thing is, Lachmi also says that he saw the boy, and the boy is heading for Cecil right now. And Cecil can see him approaching the radio station now, and something about his face looks very familiar. And he can hear the incessant knocking on the door of the station. So while he goes to open the door, everyone else should take a quick glance at this weekend's weather. Yep, yep. And it was an instrumental. I love the instrumentals. (laughs) I don't know why. I guess maybe I find words distracting. I don't. Yeah, it was called Lagoon by Hello Tut Tut, and apparently they're known for having a sound that combines gypsy, klezmer. Uh, Balkan and Latin influences. And you can hear, we had a discussion, we were trying to figure out that is a clarinet, right? It could be an oboe. I'm sure, sorry, Woodwind, you probably know way more and you're probably shouting at us right now that the difference is really obvious, but we confirmed that it does seem to be a clarinet. Yes. Well, I will have to share a link to the short that I found of someone demonstrating the differences between a clarinet and an oboe, of which there are many, and yet at the same time, they do look an awful lot alike at a first yeah. glance. I always say, if it looks like they're sucking on a drinking straw, that's an oboe. That's <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was really great. It was very funny. You could hear like a bass guitar and guitars and drums and a violin and what definitely turned out to be an accordion. And it's just, it was just really interesting. I liked it. It was. It was fast and it was tropical and jazzy and got a little experimental towards the end. So we come back from the weather and the kid is there in the studio with Cecil and he's definitely got that knife. And he's basically telling Cecil to not be afraid. He says... He just wants to tell his side of the story. He's speaking to the radio audience. He says, I want you to know more about me because I want to know more about me. And I think the only way I can do that is if we all try to learn more about me. And it's very creepy. Yeah. And he says, he tells Cecil at one point, please don't be afraid. You have every reason to be afraid, but it will make things much easier if you aren't. And that's Uh probably the creepiest thing he says in the whole episode, bar this one next bit. Because Cecil tells him he knows who the boy is. And he thinks the boy also knows. And the boy says, I do, but I don't know what it means. And Cecil says, I think you just have to be okay with not knowing. But I'm just going to ask you, you're going to have to say it out loud. What is your name? And the boy says, my name is, and you hear a voice actor speaking these words, my name is Kevin. And then Cecil says, and then he reaches out to the cord of the radio station or to the mic and with a clean swipe cuts it and you hear this snap. And that's the end of the episode. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now I had been completely certain when Cecil was saying that he knew who he was, like he was familiar, he could almost recognize him. 
I immediately was like, oh, it's Cecil's dad, because Cecil's been catching sight of his dad in weird situations, but we haven't addressed what the hell's going on with that. And then this weird boy shows up. So seriously, as soon as he said he looks familiar, this whole episode, I was like, oh, it's his dad. And it wasn't. Nope. And I thought it might have been himself. Which is interesting because there have been several characters in the show have commented about Kevin looking like Cecil, even though Cecil does not see the resemblance at all. Right. So, right. yeah, that was... And we had the uh, Kevin Arfrey, the voice actor, who I love. Oh, I think he just does such a fantastic job. I mean, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, Kevin's back, yay! Oh, so good. We were just... Weren't we just talking about how much we wanted to have Kevin come back? I we know! We were just talking about that. Amazing. Oh, and yeah, it, it turned out it, he is holding a knife is kind of a callback to he is holding a cat. That's right. That's right. Because Cecil coming through the desert other world with uh, Kaushik. So it's like, oh, my goodness. Gracious. Yeah, that was great. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. interesting when we get back from hiatus and find out what the hell is going on and what happened. Yeah. That is a good episode to leave us right before the hiatus. It's like, well, we're definitely going to have to come back now. <laughs> so that's it for Nightville. What I wanted to talk about was I finally finished watching the second David Tennant episode of Doctor Who. Oh my God, Wild Blue Yonder. Yes. Oh, it was so good. It was Holy so crap. fantastic. It was a haunted mansion in space episode. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the things that they did, like, I loved every effect with the TARDIS itself. Like, when Mm -hmm. the TARDIS lands on the spaceship by just crashing through nothing and embedding in the wall. And I just loved how it went just, just really emphatic thump into the wall. And then later on, it appears still playing the um, Wild Blue Yonder song, and... The doctor jumps on board and he like pushes with his foot because it's floating like a few inches off the ground and he pushes with his foot like it's a skateboard and sends it down that hallway. And then when Donna thinks that she's about to get blown up in the space station and the TARDIS appears behind her glowing like an angel, it's just amazing. That entire climactic scene. And let me tell you, man, um, your arms are too long is the new, hey, who turns out the light? (laughs) That was, I mean, body horror in this one is pretty amazing because, I mean, big arms and faces morphing. And at one point, like, the things that are mimicking Donna and and the doctor like grow to the point where they crowd the entire hallway and get stuck like that. And it's just, oh my God, that's horrifying. I loved the fact that you had, the two of them have split up and Donna's doing one thing with like these little grids and everything. And the doctor's doing something else with like these little tubes and everything. And it takes you a couple minutes to realize because the doctor comes in to talk to Donna. And then there's a shot of the doctor like messing with this stuff. And it takes you a minute to realize it hasn't been a cut that the two of them are talking to versions of each other and they don't realize that it's not the real them. I love stuff like that where they rely on the fact that the audience has seen a TV show before. They know that sometimes there's cuts in the action. It doesn't necessarily have to explain how did the doctor get from here to here. When you suddenly realize you're like, oh, that wasn't a cut. He's he's in two places. What's going on? Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And they kept doing that through the episode. Like Donna and the doctor get separated and then they find their counterparts, but they don't know who's real. And you as the viewer don't know which one is real. And like, yeah. oh, I, what was it? Donna told the doctor to take off his tie at one point. No, he said he was going to take off the tie. And then that way, if they see another doctor with a tie, then they'll know, 
I think that's how it works or something. And then yeah. later on, Donna says, where's your tie? And he said, I took it off. And she said, yes, you put it on the floor. Where is it? And he said, oh, when you take things off, they remain now. And it's just yes. these, these, these beings just learning how, you know, existence works the entire time. I'm telling you that entire climactic scene at the end where, you know, you think that she's going to get blown up and the doctor comes and saves her at the last minute and everything. I literally got weepy again watching it because it's just the nostalgia value is off the scale, but it's not like it's doing like fan service. And I realized what it is. It took me a while. What is it? It's not just the fact that David Tennant and Catherine Tate are back, though they are wonderful. I love seeing them. It's the fact that it's Russell T. Davies. Oh, yes. I really don't think... I mean, Moffat did a great job. There's been a lot of good writers. God knows Neil Gaiman did a great job, too. But I've, I've started to realize, I think, ever since Russell T. Davies left, I've always been really trying to love it as much, just really wanting to love it as much. And to have him back and to be so instantly kicked in the feels that it's made me cry both episodes I've watched, not from it just being powerful and great and wonderful and dramatic and everything, but I'm just like... This is what I missed. I missed this so much. Oh my goodness. And they pulled out all the stops on this one. I mean, that that endlessly long corridor in the spaceship, mm. perfect setting. And then the fact that you kept hearing this voice, this deep voice making an announcement, Fen's Law, and things would just kind of morph a little bit. And like minutes later, call us, more changing. And it, it just the fact that it was a countdown, it was numbers. I don't know why that pleased me so much, but just to hear those random words and not know what the hell is going on was just wonderful. But then to find out that it was all a plot that had to happen slowly to defeat creatures that could only think at speed was, Mm -hmm. I just, I love that sort of thing, that kind of puzzle solving. And I want to know more about the captain who sacrificed herself and who was freaking smart enough to set up a trap like that. It's just amazing. And the fact that she had a a horse's head. How cool is that? I was just going to say that. I was like, I need to see a little bit of fan art that shows what she looked like before she died and became a skeleton. I mean, all you see is like, you can see the skeleton head of like some type of like horse's head or some, you know, it's a very elongated skull. But I'm thinking, oh man, like I'm envisioning this scene of her because she killed herself to make sure that they couldn't, you know, take her over or copy her or whatever. Um, So she probably went out the airlock without her helmet Mm -hmm. because that's the doctor was even wondering about that when they saw her. Like, why is she out there? And why is she out there without her helmet? And I think you could say that she possibly took her helmet off after she went outside. But I just have this image of her standing at the airlock either before she opens the door or maybe before she closes the airlock door or whatever and she's looking over her shoulder and she's got her helmet in her hand and you know that she's just about ready to open the door without her helmet on and just oh I could oh I, I say fan artists get on that but I'm like I'm serious I may have to draw that oh I would love to see that I just as soon as I saw that Oh, it's just, I mean, it was a heartwarming episode, but also wonderfully unsettling. You know, the whole bit where the doctor's looking through the record of the ship, and he said, there's no life signs whatsoever, and looking through anything that had happened. It's like, three years ago, an airlock door opened, and then it closed again. And 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 you could tell from his expression, he knows something's off. You know what? I just I just realized that now. The whole time they were saying three years ago, an airlock 
opened and then closed again. And the whole time I was thinking that's when they got on board. That's when she left. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when, when she, she oh my goodness. Wow. Oh, it was just, yeah, it was a puzzle and it was funny. It had a lot of funny, but had a lot of great bits. The internet's been going crazy about the fact that Donna is freaking out at the beginning because the TARDIS has disappeared and she's thinking, that's it. I'm never going to see my family again. And she's really starting to lose it. And he, he grabs a hold of her and he takes her hands and he holds her hands against his chest chest and everybody's just like oh my god because of course the one thing that would probably calm her down more than anything else is the feeling of his two hearts beating against her hands oh "Oh my goodness oh my goodness and that wonderful scene where you're starting to realize something's off because both donna and the doctor are working separately and having conversations with themselves when they should be in separate rooms but she's talking about what it she's wondering what it'll be like for her family like how long will they keep coming back to that alleyway waiting for her to show up again if she never does and meanwhile the doctor is talking about what he thinks maybe the TARDIS will do because the TARDIS had to run. There was some programming that got reset with the new control panel that makes the TARDIS leave if there's like an imminent danger that I guess having a TARDIS around could make worse, like those, you know, creatures there. But And he's just thinking about the TARDIS just like finding an outcropping and like a primitive race worshipping it and then maybe trying to destroy it and then they get smart and they protect it and they build an entire city around it until there's just like the TARDIS is a dot inside this huge city and then the city eventually crumbles and it's just the TARDIS sitting on the outcropping. I'm like, that would be a good bit of fan art as well, that sequence there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, And I completely forgot there was a bit where not Donna was talking to the doctor and talking about what is he running from and what is it she says the, something the flux. the flux and I think that might be a previous doctor's story but I don't know because I haven't watched enough of those seasons yeah so we definitely got a piece of information because he looked really unsettled by that so I'm sure the next episode is going to talk about that as well as the ending of this episode because Donna had even said you know her husband would keep coming back year after year she knew that her daughter would eventually move on but she's like my husband would come back every single year and my grandfather would camp out in that alley and wait for me to get back so they get back to london in the end and there he is her grandfather's waiting did you know the actor has since passed away Uh, i think i may have known that when did it happen i think 2022 so i mean it couldn't have been very much longer after he filmed the episode because i don't think that he's in the next episode i think they had to film around because he was very frail but um i i listened to the best pick podcast where they talked about this episode and they really liked it although they took some points off for that goofy little bit at the beginning with um isaac newton and oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah which they they thought was unnecessary i thought it was good for a little bit of a giggle that you know the doctor says something about gravity and isaac Newton mishears him and he says what was that wonderful word <gasps> mavity and then just like a couple of throwaway bits where donna refers to mavity and it's just with no <laughs> no no humor or anything like that that's just what the word is now but but yeah they did they really liked it and they talked about that actor and that apparently i think russell t davis like reached out to him and wanted to know if he would be interested in doing a guest spot on the show and swear to god his response was oh well i would need to see the script like oh because of course actor actor yes yes. (laughs) oh brilliant that's amazing 
Now I have to go listen to that episode. Best Pick does great like recaps. So does um, Pop Culture Happy Hour. They do great recaps of stuff as well. Oh, yes. And Best Pick, I mean, they, they had a guest on who had a podcast with her husband, who's also since passed away, Gah! but um, it was a humongous fan. And I think they all just decided it's such a British thing. Of course, the British podcast is going to have to talk about Doctor Who. Absolutely. Man. Oh, man. I want to watch the next episode, but I believe that's the last David Tennant episode. I think so. I don't know if it might be the last Donna one, too. I don't know. if, But I just like, I am so happy that they've given Donna back her memory because you knew that she was always going to have to be like feeling that something was missing because she missed such a huge chunk of her life and nobody can tell her what happened. I want it to stay like this afterwards. She needs to continue remembering who the hell she is, who the doctor is, all of it. Yeah, because, oh, Russell T. Davies, he does know how to break our hearts. He does. He does that. Oh, no. Although I think um, oh, no. I think Moffat might have been um, Girl in the Fireplace, come to think of it. But. Maybe, possibly. We could look that up, but why would we prepare? Why would we go to that kind of effort? I don't know. No. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. I am currently reading um, The City We Became. Oh, no kidding. Oh, awesome. So that was the first one in the series, right? Yes. Because I think it's... It's oh shoot! I can't remember what the sequel was. I just read it last week. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Well, last week, last year. Yes, yes. I'm really enjoying it. So we'll probably talk about it on next week's episode. But what I wanted to ask you is, did you ever read her collection of short? This is N.K. Jemison. We're talking about, by the way. I have a point for this. Uh, <laughs> did you ever read her short story collection called "When Is Future"? Black Future Month? I have not, and I really need okay. to because The City We Became is based on one of her short stories that I really oh. enjoyed. So I think, I, nice. I mean, that whole bit with him like having to dive across the... Uh, uh, the highway while he's battling the city at the very beginning. Yes. That whole first yeah. chapter is the short story. So the, the uh, short story, the short story has a slightly different ending with like somebody coming in to be able to shepherd the city, whatever. So she's obviously diverged a little bit for the book, but it definitely works. Uh, you know what's so interesting as I was reading the first chapter, I thought, I have read all of this before. Did I start reading this book at one point? And I looked through all of my, you know, Kindle devices and everything, and I I hadn't. And as soon as I got away from that chapter, I'm like, oh, this isn't familiar. So I don't, I'm sure that first story is probably, there's an online resource for finding online science fiction stories that links back to the magazines that originally published them. I'm willing to bet that's where I read That's probably what it is. Yeah. Because that whole whole battle with the city between the two cities is really something to be seen to be believed. I mean, I just love how she does all of that. Oh, so cool. Uh, But the reason why I brought that up is I would like to actually read that for Black History Month, because I think that would be topical and everything, and so I may do a review of that if I do. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And you have a review coming out pretty soon. Oh, that's right. You're actually doing a review of Lazarus. I did, yes. I finished reading that. It took me less than a few hours, I think, to just Mm -hmm. read that whole graphic novel. Very impressed. I'm really, I mean, the dystopian society is reflected so well in that muted color scheme that the colorist does. But just, I mean, the action, I read a little bit about uh, a review about um, how it was made and how the artist and the author really worked together. And one thing they agreed on was no 
noise effect sounds like boom or slash or pow or something like that. It's all just violence that almost looks like it's happening silently and it's really oh, effective. Yeah, I just finished reading the second graphic novel in the series and I think you'll enjoy it. It's not like the type of books that we usually read and that's one of the reasons why I like it. Yeah, yeah, it definitely stands out, I think. But I've also started reading the second graphic novel that you got for me for Ooh. Christmas. Um, what is it? Nice House on the Lake. Nice House on the Lake. Yeah, I just started flipping through it. Looks surreal. Yeah. It's very, uh, very dark. Very creepy. I hope he comes out with the next book pretty soon because it's been a while since the second book. So. Ooh, man. Anyway, all that and more at PixLadyGeek.com. So next week we will have Laura Olympus. Oh, goodness. I mean, after... Hades and Persephone having to talk about how they will overcome and they will find each other if they get separated. I read the Laura Olympians summary of the episode on Instagram today, and they said at one point when Persephone is saying something like that, it looks like she's looking at the viewer, like she's she's like assuring the reader that yes, this is going to hurt, but it will be fine. I'm like, Oh, oh, so we're probably no. going to have to get to the hurt part pretty soon. I guess. Oh, dear Lord. And um, speaking of hurt, we'll also possibly watch the final Doctor Who episode with David Tennant. We might. So, and that will probably sting. We will probably have to do that. Yes. Okay. That, that'll be on the schedule. Sure. But one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. Tamika's been looking after the kid who doesn't know his name. Sorry, there was a car. So we come back from the weather. Sorry, car. With the door about ready to open or close or something, and her looking back over her shoulder, and she's got her helmet. Damn it. All right, try it again. Car. Yes. I. Hang a second. Wow. Right when I'm talking. Of course. Yes. Can you hear it? I can. Yes. That's the blip, 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 blip. They're, they're playing with the... Uh, I haven't heard one of those in a while. Don't play with your siren, dude. You'll go blind. Yeah. Sirens, drink. Wow. Yeah, it's going right down the street. And I've definitely done the thing where I've started talking too soon, and you can still hear it in the background. I'm like, just give it. still hear it. Carries a long way, doesn't it? Yep. Which is okay because now a bus is going. <laughs> Lordy. 
This week's episode is brought to you by the traffic outside Elizabeth's window. <laughs> I know, seriously. It's funny that this episode didn't actually have a traffic segment. Well, it does now. <laughs>